Well, welcome in everybody. This is the Solar Insights Podcast. My name is Eric Saar. I got Wes Goldberg here, the host of the Locked on Heat Podcast and a contributor at the Step Back. How are you doing, Wes? Good. How are you, Eric? I am doing fantastic. It's a tired day because it's Monday, but uh, we're, we got some basketball. We got some basketball talk here. We got some heat stuff. Um, so let's start off with um, kind of where the heat have gone, this arc of this crazy season. Can you give me a little lowdown on what the heat have gone through and the heat faithful? Sure. So at the beginning of the season, the Heat were really bad. Um, they started at 11 and 30. They were dealing with a ton of injuries. They had zero identity because the roster was largely flipped over. Seven new players, uh, Dwayne Wade leaving. So the face of the franchise, the identity with which how they played is gone. He goes to Chicago. Uh, Chris Bosh, who was expected to even be on this team after Dwayne Wade left, went goes down with that third bout of uh, blood clots, and he's lost for the season. Um, so this all happens, and and uh, the Heat are like, well, this is what we got. Let's trot out Goran Dragic, uh, who is an uh, all-star caliber player, as, as your Sun fan listeners well know. Uh, Hassan Whiteside, who they still weren't sure what he was, and then a bunch of other dudes. And... Uh, and it was kind of fortunate that the that Durant goes to Oklahoma or go, leaves Oklahoma City to go to the Warriors because the War, the Thunder then have to basically recalibrate what they want to do. They let Dion Waiters walk, they, and the Heat are able to get Waiters for basically nothing. He becomes a starter from day one essentially, um, and and it takes a while for them to gel. But then Eric Spolstra does what Eric Spolstra does, which is being a, a terrific basketball coach and. He gets these gears to work finally, and in the middle of January they tear off a 13-game win streak. And ever since then they've been uh, 22. They've won 22 out of their last 28 games. They're in the playoff picture now, and that's in a in a nutshell kind of what's happening here. Thanks to a large part more uh, uh, better health, increased chemistry over between uh, Dragic and Waiters, and uh, Spolster is sort of figuring out how this roster can win games. Yeah, Spolster is something else. I mean, like, you don't expect to lose. I mean, you don't expect to lose so many players over the last two or so years. I mean, you lost Dane, LeBron, Wade, Bosch. I mean, you lost four pretty good players. I mean, three better than the other one, but still. And then to have Dragic and Waiters be your, your, your star players and have it work out, I mean... They're tied with the Pistons right now for the last spot there, for the last spot in the East, and the chance to get either destroyed by the Wizards, the Cavaliers, the Raptors, the Celtics, whoever ends up being in that number one seed. Oh, but, we can talk about that because I disagree with that, but let's go ahead. Let's, oh, I want to hear that. Let's, <laughs> let me, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. What you got? So, all right. The Cavaliers will get destroyed by it. That's fine. But <laughs> I really think that – Let's, what's Boston behind? What's, what? Are, how many games behind the first seed are there? It's not that many. If they're if, if they're somehow able to get the one seed, then look, Boston hasn't made it out of the first round yet. And maybe this is just me being a Heat fan, but I'm gonna wait until Boston proves it. Like having being a regular season team is great and all, but Isaiah Thomas is much like as fun as he is to watch. He's still super short. And that does not translate well in the playoffs. Unless you're Allen Iverson, it doesn't tra- translate well. It never has. And he can't play defense. And that depth with which Boston relies on, 
playoff rosters in depth shrink into eight and nine man rotations. So everybody's yeah. got everybody in the playoffs has got eight guys. Even Miami has got nine guys that they could play with, mm-hmm. and so the depth becomes less of an advantage. And I think really that I'm not I'm not saying I would bet on Miami, but if they play the Wizards, and they're they've got you know as fun as the Wizards are and as good as they've been, they're still like I'm gonna wait until they prove it to me in the playoffs. The Celtics I just said are the same way. I think Miami. Look, Miami right now is maybe the fifth best team in the East. And they're not that far behind Washington or Boston. It's just in terms of the way that they're playing right now, the quality with which they're playing. Mm-hmm. I think that that could be a real series. Now, Cleveland, there's no, there's no chance. But those teams, I would not say they would get destroyed by those other teams. And the Raptors, what about the Raptors? They would, they, it depends on Lowry. But look, I mean, we've seen this before when Lowry returns from an injury to the playoffs, and it's not pretty. Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, and the Raptors aren't very good without Lowry. Like, they're just not. And They did add Tucker and Ibaka, though. They added Tucker and Ibaka, but that was recent. I don't know how, like, I don't, if it's a if it's a coaching matchup between Spolstra and Dwayne Casey, Spolstra <laughs> head over heels wins that coaching matchup. So I think, that, you know, the Heat might have more chemistry, which is so weird to say. Well, you look at the Raptors going into the season. They had so much, like they just kept so many of their players, or keeping their guys together. It's kind of yeah. like, all right, let's run this back. Let's see if we can get better. We're better year over year for the last three years. Let's mm-hmm. just keep getting better, and that's what they did. They add Ibaka, which is a tremendous deal. But you lose Lowry, you add Ibaka, you add Tucker. You know they're making some deadline moves and they're dealing with some injuries. Maybe that that chemistry is not there, you know, in the mm-hmm. playoffs right yeah. away. So in Miami, they figured out how to they they. They're a completely new team with a bunch of expiring deals and a and a, a misfit type situation here, but they might have more chemistry now just because they've been playing together for this whole season. I don't know. Yeah, I'm to to tell the listeners, it looks like the Cavaliers are obviously the one seed right now. The Celtics two and a half games behind, the uh, Washington Wizards four games behind, and the Raptors five and a half. So they're all pretty tightly wound there, and there's still what is it, ten more games left in the season about for most teams. Yeah. Yeah, Miami's got 12, and, and we're talking about the eighth seed. They're just a game and a half behind the fifth, or, or I'm sorry, they're a game and a half behind the seventh, and they're only two and a half games behind the, the sixth seed. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Miami gets all the way up to the sixth seed and well, they're able to play a, a, a Wizards or a Raptors or something like that in the, in the first round. And they're only three and a half behind the Hawks in, in five. Right. So they're, they're, it's pretty close. It's definitely things are still going to move a little. They're quite fluid. Um, around there in the uh, in the east, unlike the west, kind of because whoever happens to get the eight seed is so far behind anybody else in the west. It's crazy, but um, funny enough, actually, you probably the uh, if the Suns weren't playing the Pistons uh, last night with um, Jared Dudley and a bunch of toddlers, you might actually have passed them. But that was basically what happened yesterday. I don't know if you saw that. The uh, Suns rested and Tyson Chandler, Booker, Bledsoe, Knight, Barbosa. So was that just a legit? Was that a legit tank move? Like I was, I saw this, but I was very confused because the Heat were also playing last night, and I was also on an airplane, so it was very hard for me to keep in touch with what was going on well, last night. But well, they shut down Knight, Bledsoe, and Chandler for the season already. Anyway. Oh wow. Um, Booker has an ankle issue, and Barbosa was sick. Um, okay, so it's a, it's it's fake. It's a little fake taking, but I mean, yeah. but, but but Booker's been playing like thirty-five minutes a game for like months, so he's, really good. he's a little tired. <laughs> yeah, 
But um, so basically, what they had was they had the, the they had this Jarrell Eddy, I think, um, score thirteen points. They picked him up seven hours before or something like that. Um, Derek Jones Jr., who won that second in the dunk contest, was starting, and it was Chris and Len and Ulyss, and Ulyss was the only point guard on the roster that played. So they were actually winning that game. I was like, if Jared Dudley the best player on this team right now, then they're they're beating the Pistons. The Pistons should be ashamed of themselves. And then so, the Pistons end up winning eventually, but So Phoenix has the third pick right now in the draft, right? Yep. Well the third best so odds. What, what's the and they're trying to what, outpink the Lakers? If it's if it's possible, the Lakers are pretty bad. <laughs> Um, well, if you're, if you're playing with Jared Dudley with your best player every night, you're probably as good as the Lakers. Well, Booker usually is playing. Booker is by far better than Jared Dudley, but you're right. I, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think that the Lakers will be worse, but uh, I think the third most odds, and then you'll see what the draft lottery does. Are you, are you talking rolling it forward to the draft? Yeah. So, um, basically, I'm thinking Markel Fultz is going to one, and then we got Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, oh. things like that. For the for there, so yeah, we'll see what happens with the draft lottery in terms of who they get. Well, who does Phoenix want? Because like, do you even need another guard? Like, all it's such a guard-heavy draft. Like, it's Fultz, Ball, Dennis Smith Jr. A lot of people like. Yep. Like, what if Phoenix like dream scenario? The, well, they... if you listen to Suns Twitter, they want to trade Bledsoe for a bunch of nickels and get anybody that's anybody so that timelines line up, which makes me furious. Wait. So all right. Now that's a whole other thing. I'm really interested in Phoenix because going back to like the whole Dragic thing where they yes. traded, they, they they got Isaiah Thomas and they, 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 they completely butchered the best part of their team, which was the backcourt and their spacing and everything like that. Completely ruined it. They have to trade all of them. They trade all the good guys. They keep Eric Bledsoe, who's injury prone and all this stuff. Like, is Eric Bledsoe, like, I keep... Every time I watch Eric Bledsoe, and I really I don't watch a ton of Suns games. I'm sorry. I try to because I love Devin Booker and I think he's phenomenal. He is. But uh, I liked him all the way back since he was in Kentucky. I was like, they're not using him right. Yep. Phoenix uses him right, and that was and they're awesome. But but Bledsoe, it's like every time I read about him on Twitter, everybody's like, this guy has all star potential. If only he could keep it together or stay healthy or whatever. And every time I watch the Suns, I swear he's like half injured because he doesn't look that good. Is Bledsoe good? He's good. I actually, Sam Vecini was on my podcast last week and said he this year he's playing top 10 um, point guard. Um, what? Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he, he, but he is, though. I mean, he, obviously he didn't get there because West guards is so deep in terms of all-star. But he's shooting better than he's ever shot in his life. He used to have to walk in the threes. Now he's just like, can shoot them whenever he feels like it. Um, his body control, I've seen is second only to LeBron, I think, in terms of body control in the lane. Doesn't mean he's like, but he, and he's, he's tough, he's defensive, he is um, measured in the fact that he doesn't, he's always, he has the, the uh, motivation and he really can, he has the, the, the drive, but he doesn't have the emotional problems that come with sometimes that drive when you see in lots of players. Um, and then he, if you, you see, I mean, you see, he has the defensive ability, like I said, to do to stay with people, and he can get in the lane whenever he wants, and finish as good as about anybody. And he's only twenty-seven. So yeah. What if Suns fans want to sell him? Because they want the timelines to line up with Booker's, so that everybody is the exact same age. <laughs> it's I, laughable, I, because I, that, you know what? He fans say the same crap. They're like, you gotta trade Whiteside, you gotta trade Dragic. Dragic is thirty. 
It's like Winslow's 20, Josh Richardson's 24, Tyler Johnson. They, all these guys are super young. You gotta trade these players to get. Like, if if your basis for building a roster is the player's age, you have an issue. Like, that's just not like if you ignore all the other things. You're like, well, you're 23 years old. Come on in, like, be on our team and be a starter. It's like that doesn't make any sense as far as roster construction goes. Exactly. I brought this up with a couple of people. I actually wrote an article. And in it, I was like, there's nowhere in the CBA does it say that if you're not allowed to win a championship, if you're unless your players, your top four players are within two years of each other. Like, that's not a thing that has to happen. Think of the Spurs in 2014, I believe. Yes. Kawhi was, like, 22, and the rest of the, the big three were, like, over 32. And they win. Like, like it happens. There's And then I think, I forget who it was. I have so many people on. But it's like someone was saying, there's the big dog and then the little dog, and then in terms of the your number one school player and then your number two player, number three player, and they switch roles as the seasons go along. It doesn't, and then they grow from each other and they help and they take the lead and don't take the lead, and that's how you play basketball. It's not, right. it's not. I mean, so I'm thinking. I, I mean, wrote, I wrote a, I wrote the same thing. I wrote a column for the Step Back a few like a few months ago. When everybody's when everybody was talking about the Knicks still before we all got like really bored of it, <laughs> um, and and it was basically just what you're saying there, where uh, they they I I got to go into uh, I got to cover uh, one of the Knicks games, and I was talking with Christoph Porzingis, and he mentioned he had a really bad night. It was it was the Knicks versus the Kings, and and the Knicks won the game, but Porzingis had an awful night. Like I don't remember what he shot, but he he, made, yeah. he only made like two of eleven or something really bad, right? Uh-huh. But it was all covered up because Carmelo Anthony had such a good game and Kyle Quinn had a really good game on the, on the boards and everything like that, and mm-hmm. all these veterans um, stepped up and, and Porzingis was saying, like, like, I can afford to have a bad night because Carmelo Anthony is here and he could drop 30 on any night, any game. Yep. And the whole the whole point of the column was everybody is saying, you've got to trade Carmelo Anthony because Kristaps Porzingis is the future, and my whole point was Kristaps Porzingis could still be the future, and Carmelo Anthony isn't the problem. Now, the Knicks have a ton of problems. I don't know who their <laughs> coach is anymore. It's Jeff Warnacek. But it's like it doesn't matter who their coach is. Phil Jackson, we know that that's an issue. They're throwing out legends out of their, yep. out of their arena. Like, they've got a ton of problems. If a coach can get through to, to Carmelo Anthony and say, all right, don't shoot 28 shots tonight and pass the ball through <laughs> fingers, I think it could work. But it's not like, it's not like you can't have both. Like, Carmelo Anthony is still like one of the best scorers in the NBA. It's just a matter of making the, the chemistry work and maybe not having Derrick Rose on your team. And <laughs> and all of a sudden, Porzingis is the third option on offense when he should be the you know one the one B to Carmelo Anthony's one A. That could work. Yeah, so, I'm I'm okay. less enthused about keeping Carmelo on the Knicks, but there's many other situations where I think the timeline doesn't matter. Like I don't, I can't think of him right now, but like. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like people grow, people look change. At LeBron, look, at, look at the Cavs. Like LeBron is thirty-two years old or whatever he is. Kyrie Irving's not even twenty-five years old yet. Kevin Love hasn't hit thirty. Like their timelines don't work. But you have the right leadership and the right and enough depth on that roster that and, the, and enough veteran depth. Guys like Channing Frye and Richard yep. Jefferson yep. and J.R. Smith and all these guys. You have enough veteran depth that it works. You can have a. Uh, you can win a title with a guy that's under twenty-five years old. It's fine. And you don't like I'm a, I, I'm against like the Suns basically have so many young players they so Bender and Chris are 19, um, Dirk Jones Jr. is 19, um, 
Ulysses 21, Booker's 20, um, Alan Williams is 23, I think, um, so is Len, and Warren's 22, like, over half the roster is under 24. The only people that aren't is Chandler, Barbosa, um, Dudley, Knight, and Bledsoe, and that's it. There's five players that are under, tw- over 24. And so, like, if you, so you're going to, if you get rid of, the people are saying get rid of Chandler, get rid of Knight, I'm, I'm, I'm the most pro- proponent of getting rid of Knight, probably if there is, he drives me crazy, but, uh, like, you can, anybody can have him, 76 years, just take him for yeah. anything, but not, not because he's a bad player, because he makes bad decisions, but, like, if you get, if you get Fultz or somebody, and you get rid of Chandler, or Barbosa, or Dudley or something, like, you have nothing. It's, you're the Timberwolves now who can't win because all you have is young players. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you look at the, the Suns roster, and, and I think that there's three guys that you could legit, like, there are three legit building blocks. Mm-hmm. Devin Booker is a, a potential star. T.J. Warren, who I think is one of the most underrated players in the NBA. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> He's got such incredible touch around the basket. Like, can he shoot threes? Not really. Can he do a lot of things? Not a whole lot. But he's got amazing touch around him. He just gets buckets, dude. Like that guy. He cuts. Just, he's Dwayne he, Wade in cutting. He, okay, Dwayne Wade's a really good comparison for cutting. I, I think he's like super young Paul Pierce or something. Ooh, where it's just like, interesting. He's going to learn to shoot threes. I guarantee it. Yes. Like I'm not. An, I'm not an NBA scout, and I'm really not an expert on any of these things. But I do get good hunches. He's and I got close. a really good hunch with TJ Warren. And he will learn to shoot threes in a year or two, and he's going to be good at it. He's going to be like 35 or 38 percent or something like that. He'll be good at it. Mm-hmm. And and but he's phenomenal. He's got such great touch around the basket. Anyway, who's him, the other one? Booker and Bledsoe. If you want to build on him, you could build on him. Or if the Suns want to trade him, see, I'm I'm okay with trading Bledsoe, but you're not trading him for dimes and quarters. You got you can in a point guard driven league, you could trade Bledsoe to for like. I don't, like a, a pair of first round picks, you can get the Dragic trade for Bledsoe. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's right about that age that Dragic was when they traded Dragic for a pair of first round picks. If you trade him for a pair of first round picks to a team that might end up with a and one of those hits in the lottery, that might win for you if you're if 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 the Suns are not sold on Bledsoe long term. Yeah, I, they, but they can be, and he's a guy that you can build on. Those are the three guys. I have no idea if Bender is a player you can build on. I have no idea if Chris is. I like both of them just fine. I just don't know if they're building blocks yet. But yeah. other than that, so definitely, yeah. So it's pretty, it's very fluid for sure. Um, Ulis seems like he can be a point guard. I mean, he is really good. Um, his assist to turnover ratio, his ability to create space and keep the. Like, the offense never stagnates anymore because it's either Bledsoe or it's Ulis, and it's pretty incredible. But, and Chris is something, uh, he's something, and Bender, we'll see. Um, Alan Williams has really been my little fun story for this year. Do you know much about Alan Williams? I don't know who that is. So He's basically the Suns' only center right now because everybody's, like, not playing. But he he's a Phoenix guy who... Uh, he, it's a, it's, you should look him up for a little bit because it's kind of crazy. He's like 6'8", but he is, he carves out space better than almost anyone I've seen for someone that size who's not really that long. He just like, the, gets gravity, the rebounds, he's like Zebo in that sense. But he has a floater from like 10 feet out or something that like continues, continues to make, make it. And it's, it's kind of incredible. It gives me 
uh, hope that they could, if they get rid of Chandler, they still have an okay guard, uh, center rotation, even though obviously it's not a good one. But he's kind of he's kind of been my fun story for this week. His, his nickname is Big Sauce, and he is he was one of those people who had those uh, reactions always and on that's the sidelines. His nickname is Big Sauce. That's the that's the lead right there. There you go. Now, I, now I'm sold. <laughs> and he always he's you know those guys who were I think Ken Bazemore was when you're the you're the best cheerleader on your team and in the league. Before you actually get any minutes, well, that's that's Alan Williams, and now he gets minutes, and he's getting double doubles anytime he plays more than seventeen minutes. Well, it'll be awesome when he signs with the Hawks and they pay, they overpay him too. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to hear a little more about some Heat players. I want to get a little more of a perspective. Let's start with Rodney Magruder. Um, give us the lowdown because I I don't know much about him. I want to hear what he's like, what he in well, personality on the court, how his impact is. So, my first uh, exposure to Rodney McGruder was in, during Summer League. We were, uh, I was covering um, the Heat's team in Orlando, and this was a Summer League roster that was pretty much anchored by Justice Winslow, Justice Winslow and Josh Richardson. And, you know, the Heat were experimenting with Winslow, kind of running that point forward position, mm-hmm. and they were also trying to develop Josh Richardson into a point guard. Talking with the coaches, that's what their their focus was, and they were very open about it. Like, this is what we're trying to do here, um, blah, 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 as well as win games because we're Miami Heat and winning is part of our culture, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, Ronnie Magruder, though, just like – he was like the best player at the uh, at Summer League for the Heat. He was he was shooting threes. He was playing great defense. Oh, Briante Weber was also part of that, and mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a hot name for Heat fans where yeah. – uh, they were trying to see if he could make his... The Heat signed Briante Weber last season uh, going into the playoffs, which was really strange to sign like a young D-League point guard where I thought that they probably should have signed a veteran big man yeah. to maybe get provide a little bit more depth since Bosch wasn't playing in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, but they went with Briante Weber because they were sold on Briante Weber's potential. He was on a two-year deal, the second year being non-guaranteed, and they were going to run him back in Summer League and they were going to want to see if he could be a point guard. Uh, for this roster. So they had their three guys. It was Weber, Richardson, Winslow. Now we know Winslow and Richardson were making the team. That was a guarantee. Yeah. Weber was pretty much a guarantee to get on the roster because they were so committed and spent so much time with them. But this Magruder kid came out of left field. He came out of nowhere. He was with the Sioux Falls Sky Force, which is the, the Heat's D-League affiliate, in one of the Dakotas. I'm not sure which. Um, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> but it, it's... It, it, he, he was a standout for that roster. But wasn't really talked about as far as far as like NBA level plays. He's a, he's mm-hmm. a smallish guy, like six four, six five. Uh, he's you know good muscular frame, but smallish for the NBA. Not quite a two, not quite a three. Kind of like a weird tweener in between the, those positions. Can't really handle the ball like really well. Isn't super fast. Like it's like what does he do really? We don't know. Mm-hmm. But he. You know, he played really well at Summer League. He was nailing three-pointers as a catch-and-shoot. Uh, he was handling the ball better, uh, and he was playing really, really competitive defense. It's not like he's long, right? He's not going to affect games like Kawhi Leonard does yeah. or even a guy like Justice Winslow does. But he's just really he's super competitive on that end, and he goes and fights for offensive rebounds. He just makes plays. One of those guys. And he just kept making winning plays for the Heat in Summer League, and, and Miami went really far in Summer League. They invited him to training camp. He ends up beating out Briante Weber for the backup, uh, for the 15th roster spot, essentially. 
So that happens. So he's on the he's on the roster, kind of at the end of the bench. They're going to see what he's got. Then a bunch of injuries happen throughout the season, and he's kind of forced into the starting unit. He gets forced into the starting lineup due to injuries and has not come off the bench since. He's been the starting small forward for this Heat team ever since then, uh, from very early in the season. And, you know, he didn't he kind of had, like, free range to affect the game how he wanted to because Miami wasn't playing well, so it's not like they really had a sh- – oh, and they were so injured, they didn't really have – they couldn't afford to have a short leash for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of doesn't really score a whole bunch at the NBA level, but he's just – you know, he's making rebounds, he's playing good defense, he's doing just enough, and he's staying out of the way. He's not making any mistakes, and that's good. But as the season goes along, the more shots he gets and the more practice he gets and the more reps he's getting – he, just start, he starts nailing three-pointers, and all of a sudden he's a good three-point shooter, and he just keeps developing. And this is an older rookie. I think he's 25 years old, 24 maybe, mm-hmm. but he's technically a rookie because it's his first NBA season, and the Heat love him. I mean, Spolstra mentioned the other day that he, he's the smaller Udonis Haslam, and in the Heat organization, there is no higher honor than that. That's there for sure. There is zero higher honors than that. So uh, to get that kind of compliment from the head coach is, is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just been doing that sort of thing. And look, I don't know how he figures into Miami's long-term plans, but for now, he's he's nailed down that role. He's a a, a low usage player who is effective when he has the ball, but even more so effective when he doesn't have the ball, which jives really well with what the Heat like to do, which is keep the ball in Dragic's hands, keep the ball where waiters waiters' hands, and if they're going to throw it inside, they're going to throw it to. Hassan Whiteside, mm-hmm. and those are the three big usage players, and everybody else is just catch and shoot, make plays when you have the ball, but make sure you're affecting the game off the ball, yeah. and he fits right in. What about uh, Josh Richardson? Richardson's season's been really up and down. He uh, uh, he, he had a leg injury in the in, in training camp. He tore his Achilles, I believe, uh, a partial tear. And he missed all of training camp, all of preseason, and the first four games of the regular season. And he's been dealing with injuries ever since then, various injuries. Uh, and he's been now back for 13 games. And if you think about Josh Richardson last year, his rookie season, he shot better than 50% from three-point range after the All-Star break when he started getting real rotation minutes, mm-hmm. which is knockdown. I mean, that's been crazy. And we knew that would that would fans over. Nobody shoots 50% in their career. But we thought he's a good three-point shooter. He's uh, able finisher at the rim, super athletic, really bouncy, uh, really uh, confident guy, uh, a four-year starter at Tennessee. So he's got, you know, he's a veteran rookie. He's got swagger. He's got confidence. You know, is he was one of the steals of the draft. And, and there's, you know, I read one scout that said uh, that if you redrafted the draft last year, he'd be a top twenty pick. That's which is crazy because he was picked in the second round. So well, yeah, I mean, who like, Ulis would be and he would be and like, right? And it's like, and Malcolm Brogdon goes number. Four yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but you know, with all the injuries and everything, and and it's really hurt him. And uh, since he's been back for the last thirteen games, he's shooting twenty two percent from three point range, which is very much not good. Um, yeah. You know, he, he looks unsure of himself how he fits in with the Heat because he was basically injured for the whole thirteen game win streak. That was that was much Bollywood. So, oh, yeah. uh, he's like, okay. They're winning without me. How do I fit into this? Because he was such a big part of Miami winning last year. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Look, this is going to be a throwaway season for Richardson. It's a throwaway season for Justice Winslow, who only played 18 games before uh, go- undergoing shoulder surgery that kept yeah. him out for the rest of the year. 
So it's kind of a it's a sophomore slump for both of those guys. They're going to hope to just kind of throw away that second year and then get back to it in their third year. Okay, so what is up with Tyler Johnson getting like $19 million a year, and what is up with his game? So it's a $50 million deal over four years, and the first two years are very, very modest. It's five, yeah. Five and six million dollar salaries, yeah. and then that, and then the third and fourth year jumps up to basically twenty million a year, which is a huge jump. Like but, a poison pill contract. Yes, exactly. So, uh, he, the Heat are basically they're on the clock with Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson is is his best assets are that he gets the rim, he's super athletic, he can shoot, and he plays really, really hard, yeah. which the Heat love, and. He's, you know, their number one six man off the bench. You know, he, he hasn't started a game all season, and he likes it. He's fine with it. Um, he's kind of playing that Manu Ginobili role for them, mm-hmm. where it's like, all right, come off the bench. You're, you might finish a game if you're hot. If you're not, you might not. So that's kind of the role he's playing. And for now, that's fine. At five and six million dollars a year for the next year, it's fine. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But he's also got a tendency to score 20 points in one game and then go two for nine in the next game. <laughs> You know, and, and that's kind of where he is, but he's young, and that's, you know, that's okay for now. And two years from now, when that third year of that contract kicks in and he's been getting paid $19 million, that's not going to be fine. He doesn't warrant it. <laughs> right. So the Heat are on a timetable, and so is Tyler Johnson, where if Tyler Johnson wants to stay in Miami, then he's going to have to live up to that, and that's okay, right? Like, this is the best... If you're going to pay Tyler Johnson $50 million, and I'm, I'm very much in favor of them re-signing Tyler Johnson and matching that offer sheet, and I could explain why in a second, mm-hmm. but um, if you're going to, this is the way to do it. Pay him modestly for two years, and then hopefully if you're buying into his development, he ends up getting he's, he ends up being worth $19 million a year, and that's possible. It can still happen. In this so, CBA, in the new CBA, yeah. Right, exactly. So... That's kind of what they're betting on. Now, the reason that you re-signed Tyler Johnson, a lot of people were like, the Heat are crazy for offering this man to matching this offer sheet. The Brooklyn Nets did it because they had to, because they have no draft picks, and they're going to just overpay for any young players that have a little bit of potential, and that yep. is a really good strategy for them, and that's fine. But for the Heat to match it, a lot of people thought they were crazy, but it's not like the Heat have a ton of assets either. We've got two draft picks going to you guys uh, in the next in the next three years. They don't have any second-round picks in the next four or five years. Like this is, it's not a team with a ton of cap space. Even when Bosch, even when they get Bosch's contract wiped off the, wiped off the books, that's what's expected to happen. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have a ton of cap room still. They don't have a lot of guys with bird rights. Like it's, they just don't have a lot of assets. So you can't you, you can't just let one walk away. If somebody's willing to pay one of your players fifty million dollars to steal them from you. It makes sense to re-sign that player, and you say, well, at least we still have this, because worst-case scenario, we could trade Tyler Johnson for something. Now, will anybody trade Tyler Johnson if he's getting paid $20 million a year and he's not worth it? Probably not. Teams don't just absorb contracts like they used to. Yeah, I'll get stressed or something. But, you know, what if a team... Look at what Cleveland was doing this year when they needed... Before uh, Darren Williams became available in the buyout market. They really, really needed a playmaker. Mm-hmm. Say that the next season rolls around, the NBA trade deadline's happening, the Heat are still just kind of whatever, they're fine, but they're not a contender. And a contender like the Warriors says, you know, like Livingston, for example, is a free agent this season. He doesn't resign or retires or something like that. The Warriors really need a backup playmaker because McCall hasn't really worked out or whatever. Yeah. Do they trade the Heat, like a first-round pick for Tyler Johnson? Well, they won't, be able to, 
they won't be able to take that, 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 uh, they'll have to be way over the luxury tax. I mean, I don't know if they can do it, especially the Cavs can't do it. Okay. But you're... But, like, something like that in theory, right? Yeah, point is made still. Yeah, so does the team kind of walk in and say, like, we'll we'll take a chance on Tyler Johnson for a season because we need somebody like that. That's that's a possibility. But uh, for now, like, you know, if you're the Heat, you got to kind of keep the young players you got, so. Yep. What about uh, Hassan Whiteside? I was talking with uh, your co-host, Dave Ramel, and last time, and it was kind of like, he's an interesting career arc, and now he's even seeming to have slumped, but his rebounds are still there. What is up with him? Ugh. Um, <laughs> Whiteside stresses me out so much. Uh, he is an absolute joyless player to watch at times. Um, with you know, you talk about how hard the Heat play, and that's why they're where they're at right now. That's why they were able to battle back to the playoff race here because they just play so hard. And that's such like in the world of advanced analytics, we tend to just overlook like. How hard did they play? Because that's a real thing. Yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, this team just plays so hard. He doesn't every night, and that's mm. really frustrating. So, you know, what you want from your from a guy like Whiteside is, okay, you want him to be able to finish the rim and to dunk and, and to rebound and to block shots, you know. But you really need him to also set, like, really good screens and, you know, get get rebounds that are out of his range. Yep. I think that's all, you know, when you talk about rebounding, we can look at the numbers, and he's the leading rebounder in the NBA, which is great, and that, that's a that's a very qualitative stat, and that's fine. But he doesn't really get rebounds that are out of his rebounding area, if that makes sense. Like he's not yeah. a guy that's going to just he's hustle not, his butt off for a rebound that's just like that's not even near him. Where he's not Gobert, and it's and it could right. potentially be because the rest of the Heat are bad at rebounding that he gets more of them. That's possible. Right, and he steals rebounds for all the time. He probably steals, and I'm not even exaggerating, two to three rebounds a game from his teammates. <laughs> so I think take that average and take it down two or three rebounds. Like, literally steals it and will, like, give them a side glance if they don't let him steal the rebound. He wants those rebounds. He understands that stat and how important it looks for him. Wow. So, that's an issue. But, you know, he sets poor screens. He, or I should say he, set, he sets inconsistent screens. Mm. Um, you know, and he has this, like, pet move where he kind of, like, he thinks he's got post moves, but he doesn't, <laughs> which is really, like, it's like one of those you don't know what you don't know type situations. I can see that. Like, he thinks his hook shot's really good. It's not. He's got, like, this weird push shot that I call it where he, like, will get the ball at the free throw line, and if he's at the free throw line or closer, he is pushing that sh- that ball towards the rim. And I'm not saying shoot the ball. He pushes the ball. Mm towards the rim, and that's his shot. It looks really weird, and it barely ever goes in. Yeah, Len's and a little he, bit like that in terms of the unsure yeah. post moves when you're, like, you, he's really good around the rim. He can shoot sometimes if he doesn't fade away, but, like, it's not like he's consistent. Right, and that's the thing, and Whiteside thinks he's consistent. Now, the Heat have done a really nice job of moving away from Whiteside. They were posting up Whiteside a ton at the beginning of the year because mm-hmm. they had no other offense. Yeah. But once Waiters got healthy and Dragic got really good, it, it started playing really well the way he's playing now. They took the ball out of Whiteside's hands a lot more, and that's been good. Now they're running a lot more high pick and rolls, and they're running Whiteside toward the rim more, and that's been really effective. That's the bad side of Whiteside, is everything I said before. The good side of Whiteside is when he is setting really good screens, and he is valuing his, you know, in-between-the-lines type defense, and he is playing really well. And those are nights he's an absolute wonder to watch, because he could do things that other players don't as far as blocking shots. Mm-hmm. But... uh 
look, he's a big guy and he's he's a true center. I don't know how many I don't know how many I don't know if he could be a real contender with a true plotting center like Whiteside is. And that's kind of the MO with him, but look, you don't get to choose your superstars a lot in this league. And yeah. he's the star that Miami has and they're they're and and Spolster has figured out a way to make it work. Yep. I feel so bad for Dragic. Kind of, he goes to Miami to go play with some people, and they all kind of leave. And then he keeps getting hurt. <laughs> he keeps getting black eyes and broken teeth and stuff. And not getting foul calls when that happens. Yeah. Also, did that happen in Phoenix? Did he get like? Was he completely disrespected by the refs in Phoenix? Too? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. He has always been like that because he's tough and he knows how to finish, but he's he doesn't look like he got hurt. I mean, he doesn't. And according to him, he doesn't flop. Yeah, he flops a little. Um, here's a question. Have you ever seen Dragic give up the ball on a fast break? Ever? Yes. <laughs> One time? Well, with the Heat, I think he is doing it now. I think this is the way that they're... It's very rare, but... Because he... I think... And I don't think it's a selfish thing with him. Yeah. Because I think he genuinely is like... Somebody's going... There is going to be contact. I think he really enjoys the contact. Like, he loves just getting physical. Yeah, it's not so a bad thing. zero chances given up giving that up unless there's like Luke Babbitt in the corner for a wide open three which is like the few times I've seen it happen yeah it's it's not a detrimental thing but it's just kind of funny I, yes. he could be on a three on nothing and still not give it up or three on That's one right. and still not give it up It's and still make it it's not like he's not going right. to make it but it's still pretty funny I mean he had that, that bad eye that was like sealed over and stuff and that was oh man So I want to hear. I want to hear some of your thoughts on the Suns players, or what do you know? Like you were saying, you like love Booker. What do you love about Booker? So it goes back to Kentucky when he they they would just like they would sit him in the corner and like this is what you're going to do. Coach Calipari was like, you're just going to shoot threes for us. Get all these other guys to do stuff, and that's fine. And that worked for them. I think that was the year they won the title. I'm not sure. Probably did. Currently, Towns. <laughs> right. So. Uh, I always thought, okay, I don't think they're using him enough. He always seemed to me, but he did always seem like a Kentucky. He was like, they don't give him the ball a lot, but when they need him to make a shot, they'll give it to him. Even if he's like, it's only like a second shot of the game and it's like the fourth quarter, he makes the shot. Like, yep. the dude's just like cold-blooded. And I love that about him. And and that translated to the NBA because we know this dude can make clutch shots. So He's more game winners than anybody else this year. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's he has two. I, I, but it doesn't surprise me. So, so oh. Booker, so of course he could do that. But then you look at the way that the NBA is trending, you look at guys like Steph Curry, like primarily, like basically shooting guards that have kind of moved their way into a point guard role, and they could do just enough facilitating that they get better at it, and he's, they're good enough ball handlers that they're able to, you know, learn how to facilitate and run an offense, and that stuff takes time. Like, learning how to be an NBA point guard takes a lot of time. That happened with Curry. But you're just like a naturally good ball handler, so you were afforded the time. And that's mm -hmm. to me like what Devin Booker is. Like really? he's a naturally good ball handler. He, he is, but the threes. he is, but the Suns are better when Ulis or Budso has the ball. Um, right. But the funny because thing is, they was, know how to be point guards. Yeah. Booker's never played point guard. Yeah. I mean, I was so once he learns to play point guard, he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be really good. And here, and what's so good about him is you don't need him. Like you don't even need him to be really your point guard. Like you could play him off the ball plenty if you have a, a second or tertiary ball handler on the team that he gives you that whole other dimension on offense. Booker is just like, I don't know, I think he's just got, he's super competitive, he's got all the tools you want, I'm all in on Booker. 
I mean, he has, like I always mention on the podcast, I mean, he was, like, going up with LeBron, like, hard fouling him, and LeBron looks back, like, who is this kid? And he's, like, he has four games, he's just, like, dribbles, he can, and I've seen, I've never, I don't know if I've ever seen this with the Suns, I've been following them and writing about them for a long time, relatively, and, like, I don't think the Suns have ever had someone, if their initial play doesn't go well, they can throw it to him, and he just will ice it, and he will score. I mean, he can just score whenever he wants to. He can get in the lane, he can shoot, he can post up. He's only 6'7", but he's 20, so he's still going to maybe get to 6'8", six, 6'9", six, by the time he's done growing. And once he gets some more bulk on him, he can play the three. And it's just, and he, I think, okay, so when he was at Kentucky, what we, th- we thought he was Anthony Morrow Plus or a lesser version of J.J. Redick, a shooter who has a little more to do. But now it's like Clay Thompson, and I was watching the other day, his trash talking, his ability to make clutch shots. He's Kobe esque. He's not Kobe, but he's Kobe esque. I mean, I love all the comparisons, and I'm like totally down with them. But he's he's just like, I don't know. I, I wouldn't even like compare him. Like he's just he's just perfect for where the NBA is going. Yes. You want a three point shooter. You want and, and you want somebody that can defend. And he's not a great defender, but going to be because he's so competitive mm-hmm. he's going to figure that end of the floor out he's just like a bad mf like he's just like yeah. he's mm-hmm. ready to rise to the moment and that that stuff like you know i i actually compare him like to damian lillard as far as yeah. just like attitude where it's just like give me the ball i'm making the shot and even if he doesn't make the shot he's like that's the rem's fault i'm making the next <laughs> one like it's I, I just love his attitude yeah he he really has the right competitive attitude and and I love having him play with Ulis, his best friend. Um, it's, and they're, they play well together, and Chris doing the lobs and stuff. And it's crazy. This whole team now does, like, chase down blocks. Like, Booker's doing a ton. Chris is doing a ton. Len got one. Bledsoe does them all the time. Like, it's like, what what happened? Did they practice this and they practice that on off days? That's a good sign for the Suns. Like, they're super bad this year. But if you got guys getting chased down blocks and those things, that's a sign of like a competitive team mm-hmm. that wants to win. Well, they're competitive. So. With, with once they stop playing night, um, and then change <laughs> a little bit, like they got better when Ulis and Allen Williams play. Allen Williams is it's amazing. Like they, he he like I said, he gets double doubles every time he gets more than seventeen minutes. I mean, that's incredible. Most people can't do that. Um, but it's 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 just good to see this team. We'll see what happens with the draft, and. Uh, We'll see what they, see who they trade because I think I think they'll trade Knight. We'll see if they trade Chandler. They probably won't trade Barbosa or Dudley because they're such fan favorites, um, and they're such good mentors and they just understand their role. Like Dudley is like the that's cool. like, quintessential. I, I think, like, like you're not going to get anybody to take the Chandler contract. That's just not going to happen. And and he's a good locker room guy, and so is Dudley. So you just keep him around. That's good. But you don't like you can't start him. You take him to the bench. I'm looking at I'm on the trade machine right now because I love playing. <laughs> I love playing. The GM you're one of those guys. So, Oh yeah, so you, you trade Brandon Knight, get him for whatever, like just like anything first, you can get. First rounder, second rounder, a young guy, anything, one of those. Like you're so the trade for Brandon Knight is we need to, you need you need to find somebody who's to hit the salary floor, and you're gonna be and if you're Phoenix, you probably have to package him with like a second round pick, and you're gonna get like a highly protected second round pick in return. Like you're not getting anything back from Brandon. Yeah. Knight. that's like that is. I think he doesn't he have the worst plus minus in the league. I, I maybe sure. I mean, I just you got look Brandon and I like Brandon Knight. He's like he's from 
he was basically from my hometown. He's, he was he born in Miami, very close to where, where I was raised. And uh, I'm a fan of Brandon Knight's game. I think he could be good. You talk to players that, like, watched Brandon Knight in high school and, and, and briefly at Kentucky, and they're like, this dude is a baller. Like, they thought he was going to be an all-star, like, you know, the next Chris Paul or whatever you want to say. Like, I that mean, was Brandon Knight. Yeah. And he just, it just hasn't worked, and that's fine. But uh, maybe you just trade him back to high school. I don't know. In Milwaukee, he was almost an all-star, and he, when he ha- if you watch his, like, three good games a year, they're incredible. He can shoot so well. And if he gets on fire, you can't really stop him. Like, I, I, we score like 30, 38 or something, 40, or something around there. And he did really good. But it's like he also probably gave up 25 points because of bad defense and bad shots. Like, at least. That's a, like, that's a, that's a baseline every game for him. So just by because he can't rotate. One thing I noticed, you mentioned about Warren. Um, I think Warren needs to get better on defense because I'm watching him. His positioning yes. on defense is so bad; he just does not position himself where he needs to to be to for where the guy's going to go. Um, but he's getting he's getting better with them. With the training Tucker, he's like the primary. He's are like the playing, oldest. Are they playing him mostly at the three or the four? He's the three because you have to play Chris at the four, and you play Williams Len at the five. Yeah. I think Because uh, maybe. I think he's he's too slow to keep up with opposing threes in this in this game where basically opposing threes are, are shooting guards at this point. But, so. we'll, but we'll see if he can rebound well enough or play defense well enough. I don't know if he can to be a four. But we'll see. Yeah. I mean that's that's to be seen. But he, right now he's like technically the only well other than Derek Jones Junior now, to be the only small forwards on the team really. So we'll see. But uh yeah. We'll see what happens with Ulis and if he's like I mean some people are thinking that Ulis is so good that you can trade Bledsoe for whatever and have Ulis start. I'm like, I guess, but Ulis. I mean, Ulis and Isaiah Thomas did a did a, a a jump ball the other day, and it was hilarious because they're both five foot nine. <laughs> it's good to have the depth, though, right? Like if you keep yeah. you keep Bledsoe, Ulis, and Booker, and you keep Warren. I think I, I don't know what the situation with Alex Len is, but he's I don't I don't know that you need to keep him. So. I, it's the same thing as Bender, Tyler Johnson. He, uh, he's a future center, right? Who? Like, Dragon Bender. Okay, so that's what that's the interesting thing. People are saying he should be a three, and I'm like the best use of him as a five, like a Chris Porzingis eventually, um, where you're you're a faster five once you can put on muscle. But right now he can't do it because he's not nearly strong enough. And then Chris, Marquis Chris, like is he a five? Like what's um, his situation? Sam Vecini was thinking he's a three. He's, he should be a three who can shoot. Because he can shoot the three pretty well. He's like, what, 30, 34% around there? For What's this his handle, though? Can he handle it? Oh, a little. But it's more But it's more of he can alley-oop all the time. He's athletic. He can. He has really long arms. And he can shoot. So it, it's enough. He can't really handle it necessarily. But it's decent. It's not, it's not horrible. So Sam's a really smart guy. I trust him. If he thinks he's a three... That's fine. Mm-hmm. I think he's a five, so he's probably a four. <laughs> yeah, um, but he's a four right now, that's for sure. So if you have Bender and Chris, at, I think Bender, look, if he's not good at center, that's fine, because the Suns aren't going to be good for a while. So yeah. just make him, just let him learn how to play center. I think that's yeah. fine. I, I'm with you. Make him your Kristaps Porzingis, and, and well, you still have Tyson in two years. on the bench for your true In center. two years. Well, and Alan Williams. I mean, Alan Williams and yeah, Lennon's Williams. the centers. right. They're the centers right now, Lennon Williams, and then... Once in two years, when Bender actually has muscle on him, he can try it. 
Alright, so you play on it before, like, the Knicks are playing Porzingis, not to say that the Phoenix Suns should be like yeah, the Knicks, but... Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think... And then it, I still think Warren's a four eventually. I think but, it's potential, yeah. Because because Booker's so a three if eventually. If you're the Suns, if you're the Suns, you got to drop Josh Jackson. That's what... Yes, exactly. We were just talking about that with, with Sam. I mean, it's, it's Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum, or uh, Marco Fultz is my three top oh people. Oh, my gosh. Jason Tatum on the Suns would be amazing. Right? Because now, now you've got... Got Booker, who's an all-star level. He's like an elite-level scorer. He's averaging 21 points a game getting. right now. Averaging 21 points yeah. on the season as a 20-year-old. Two, two or three years from now, he's going to be one of the best scorers in the league. Yep. Just like, period. Booker, uh, I'm not. I'm sorry. Tatum. Tatum could be an elite scorer. Like that's your that's your Giannis Parker like offensive duo, where mm-hmm. it's just like two all-star level scores. I think I love Jason Tatum. I think he's going to be tremendous in the NBA. If you can get, if you're, the Suns are basically a shoe in to basically get Jackson or Tatum. That's that's a home run with either one of them. Yeah. If you can get one of those guys, play them at small forward, start the transition of moving TJ Warren to the small ball four. If you just turn the Suns into this really, they've got all these like really good tools to be like a really fun small ball team. Yep. As long as they do the development right and you just focus on development for two years, the Suns are going to be. I don't know if they'll be good, but they're going to be really really fun. Yeah, they're already pretty fun, but they for sure because of Ulis and stuff and Booker. But they and they don't they don't they don't back down from anyone, which is kind of nice. But uh, they they're so inconsistent that they can they beat they beat the Celtics and Thunder on like back to back games. And they end up like then they almost beat the Wizards, and then they like lose to the Pistons now, and they like just do random things where you're like, uh, please have some semblance of consistency. Yeah, and that'll come with age, right? That's yeah. Right I mean that's what happens when you're all your half your team can't drink. <laughs> that's a shame. Yeah, one last one last thing. Let's talk about those those draft picks that the Heat are the Suns. Because <laughs> yeah. that's gonna be interesting. Is Riley gonna like sign some stars and make those draft picks worthless, or is he gonna try to build and then they may be worth something? So uh, Pat Riley's gonna try to land a big free agent this year next year, probably the year after that. To infinity um, and beyond. I don't know that it's going to work. I don't know that he's going to get that big free agent that he wants. But one, th- one thing that we could say with Riley is that I don't think he's going to tank at any point. And mm-hmm. as much as I never wanted to say that, because I think that you never want to shut a door, if this season's taught me anything, it's that Riley, it's not about necessarily... I don't think it's about winning championships for Pat Riley at this point. I really mm. don't think it is. He's won enough. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He's, it's like it's it's done. His legacy is set. Like we know what's going to be on his tombstone, right? Yep. So I don't really think. I really just think he hates losing so much that as long as the Heat are winning more than they are losing, he'll be happy. He'll be happy <laughs> enough with it. And, and that might just be a situation where the Heat go and they're a sixth seed or a seventh seed in the playoffs every year for the next several years, and that's going to be fine. That'll be fine enough for the Pat Riley, I think, for a couple of years. And if that's the case, then the Suns are screwed with those picks. Well, I guess, but I mean, even late lottery and and early, or like, right, it's like, not that bad. That's not that bad. <laughs> especially, especially the picks that you that that the Heat thought were giving up. When they traded for Dragic, they thought they were building a core of Dragic, Wade, and Bosch that was going to be able to contend in the East for multiple years. Yeah. So you consider that with what the Heat thought they were giving up, which is probably picks 24 to 30 and anywhere yeah. in that range. Yeah. They're, 
the Suns are getting better picks than that. They're so getting like 15 to 20-ish. Yeah, 10 to 20, something around there. Mm-hmm. So that's that's gonna be pretty interesting down the line, I believe. Is it is it nineteen and twenty one is when the picks get transferred? Well, this is the interesting thing for the Heat is it's 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 currently due for twenty uh, eighteen. Wait, what's this draft? This is the twenty seventeen draft. Yeah. So it's it's due for the next draft is the first. Oh, twenty eight. So eighteen pick. and twenty then. Interesting. But it's protected for the top five or the top ten. I'd have to look it up really. Okay. Quick. But so. it's, it's it's protected, so um, the the issue for the Heat is okay. Do you tank next year? If I, I know I, what I just said was that Pat Riley will never tank. <laughs> so I'm gonna be hypocrite really quick and say that if they are going to take, yeah, it's picked. It's protected in 2018 for selections one through seven, mm, okay. and then unprotected in 2019. So the 2019 pick is gone. Um, if if the if the Heat land outside of seven in twenty eighteen. No, I'm sorry. If the I'm gonna I'm gonna start over here because this is gonna make more sense. So the Heat have an incentive to tank next year and land one of the top seven picks next year because then they get to keep it. Yep. yep. So if that happens, if they keep the pick, then Phoenix will get the twenty nineteen pick and then that, that that second first round pick two years after that will transfer as well. Because you can't give consecutive picks, first-round picks right. away. So if the Heat do have an incentive to tank, it's next season. And mm-hmm. otherwise, they don't have an incentive to tank other than just getting better draft picks. Exactly. That was good. The rate, it's going to be interesting to see for sure from both teams. I wonder how far the Heat will go. I think that we'll see what happens when they, in a couple of weeks when they get to the playoffs, if they get to the playoffs, how they'll do. Um, thanks for your insight on that. Um, why don't you plug your stuff and we'll get out of here? Sure, just follow me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. I write at the Step Back, which is a, a really fun NBA vertical over at Fansided, which I, I recommend you check out. Um, and I'm the host of Locked on Heat. If you're a Heat fan and you're interested in listening to stuff about the Heat, Locked on Heat's where to find me. Uh, it's a daily podcast I do with my co host, David Romel, who Eric had on earlier in the season. And if you just want to uh, follow me at Twitter, I'd appreciate it. So thanks for having me on, Eric. Yeah, definitely go 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 see Wall West's stuff. Go follow him. Uh, follow me at Eric underscore star. This is the Solar Insights Podcast, solarinsights.net. Um, go check us out and uh, tell your friends. Thanks so much. Thanks.